The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ! One of the kids was up this morning about seven o'clock and wondered aloud, is it time to get up now? Which is an honest question in these days when there is very little daylight, seven o'clock, it's still kind of dark and it would make you wonder whether it is in fact time to get up. Same thing in the evening when it's six o'clock and it feels like ten o'clock, shouldn't I be in bed already? The time is all wonky these days. You might have felt that a little bit even this morning as you heard a gospel lesson from the season of Lent. Palm Sunday, that's what we heard. It's the wrong time of year for Palm Sunday, isn't it? Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey a week before he is crucified. What is wrong with the calendar? Things seem to be out of place. That, I think, is exactly the sentiment that was in the air in Jerusalem when Jesus rode on that donkey. Something very strange was happening. The religious leaders reacted against it. Just a little bit later, after our gospel lesson, the children were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they said to Jesus, Would you tell them to pipe down? Do you hear what they are saying? Why were they so upset about it? Well, of course, they didn't like the idea that Jesus was the king, the son of David, that he was being welcomed as a king. But I think there may also have been this simple fact at play. It was the wrong time to sing Hosanna to the son of David. That's a fall festival among the people of Israel, the Feast of Booths. Sometime in November, December, that's when you cut down palm branches and lay them on the road. That's when you sang Hosanna to the Son of David. That's when you made a procession to Jerusalem, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the Feast of Booths. The last festival in the Jewish festival calendar. That's the last festival. And here they are celebrating that festival, at least seeming to celebrate that festival now, at the beginning of the festival season. It's the time of the Passover. The first of the festivals in the Jewish calendar. Everything seems to be out of place. Here's how it would be for us. Imagine it's the dead of winter. It's January. You've had enough of the cold temperatures, if you haven't had enough of them already, enough of the snow, enough of the wind, and you are just waiting for the daylight to lengthen. It's the middle of January, and then all of a sudden you look over and you see your neighbor in his red, white, and blue swim trunks, 
pulling out his fireworks, firing up the grill, flipping some burgers, and you say to him, it is the wrong time of year for the 4th of July. That's six months from now. Why are you celebrating the 4th of July right now? It makes no sense. Something is wrong with the timing. That's what it would have been like for the people of Israel in Jerusalem at that time when they were getting ready for the Passover to sacrifice that lamb, to remember the blood painted on the doorposts of their houses in Egypt. And here, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, the people act as though it is another time of year entirely. They act as though it is the end of the story instead of the beginning of the story. They act as though the resolution has arrived, as though salvation is here, when in fact everyone knows we're still waiting for salvation. Things seem to be taking place out of time. Time is all a mess. Of course, you know this. We heard this last week in our epistle lesson. St. Peter reminded us that in God's eyes, time is very different from the way it is in our eyes. For the Lord, a thousand years may be as a day, And a day as a thousand years, time is very different in God's reckoning. What seems a short time to him seems a long time to us. Or what seems the wrong time to us may in fact be exactly the right time for him. Have you ever found that in your prayers? Lord, wouldn't now be the right time for you to give me what I'm asking? And the Lord says, no, I have a better time. It was in fact in the fullness of time. But the Lord sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem you and me. It was in the fullness of time. According to God's reckoning, time was full when Jesus was born. And it didn't make any sense if you are keeping track of time the way the world does. Jesus really puts a point on this. He makes it so clear when just a few verses later, he is walking around on his way back to Jerusalem. He'd been staying outside the city, and he's coming back to Jerusalem, and he saw a fig tree standing by the roadside. And he went to look and see if the fig tree had any fruit on it. And it did not. And so he cursed the fig tree. Seems like maybe a bit of an overreaction, like a, a commercial for a Snickers bar. He was just kind of hangry. Maybe that's why he cursed the fig tree. No. He cursed the fig tree because he had every reason to expect it to bear fruit. Now here's the surprising thing. St. Mark tells us it was not the season for figs. By the world's reckoning, by the way the seasons work, by the way planting and harvest go, he should not have expected figs from that tree. And yet Jesus walked up to that tree fully expecting to find figs there because his timing is different from the world's timing. When Jesus arrives, everything changes. When Jesus arrives, the darkness is over. I don't care what time in the middle of the night it is. The darkness is past. When Jesus arrives, the time for fruitfulness is here. I don't care what season it is. I don't care whether we're planting or cultivating. It is time to harvest when Jesus arrives. When Jesus arrives, it is a time for rejoicing. Jesus had said this to the religious leaders earlier. They asked him, Lord, Master, Teacher, why don't your disciples fast like the disciples of John the Baptist? They keep the festivals. They fast the way that we're supposed to. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said, can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is at hand? When the party is on, you don't fast. You indulge yourself. You feast. 
when the party is on. When the Savior is here, you don't fast. When Jesus arrives, the time is always now. The time for rejoicing is now. Now is the day of salvation. And this is the whole point. It's the whole point of the season of Advent, which you should let, you should let it be a season for your whole life. The coming of Jesus. This time of waking up. That is what he has come to do. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it is as though he wakes up those who have been slumbering, those who have been walking in darkness, the people who in darkness sat a glorious light have seen. Here he is. The light has dawned, and the people can't help themselves. They start singing the songs at the wrong time of the year, and the religious leaders want to tamp it down. No, don't do that now. But Jesus says, even if you silence these children, the stones, the stones would cry out. Now is the time for rejoicing. Now is the time that is full. Freedom from sin and from death. While the whole world is slumbering, it is a time for waking up. That's what St. Paul tells us this morning. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. To put aside the works of darkness, the things that belong to the night, the things that belong to hopelessness, and despair, to set aside sin and grief and sorrow, to set all of those things aside, now is the time for doing the things that belong to the light. Now, Paul gets very specific when he talks about those things. You heard the list, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, these works of the darkness. And really, I I think he intends for you to see that he spans the whole list from the worst things imaginable to the things that just seem sort of ordinary and everyday. Quarreling and jealousy, how commonplace is that? Grumbling and discontent. All of it belongs to the darkness. All of it belongs to the flesh. All of that should be put off now that Jesus has arrived. Make no provision, St. Paul says, for the flesh. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, now is not the time for pretending that things are going to continue the way that they always have been. Now is the time to see with your eyes that your king is here. So it is for you and for me. It is a time for rejoicing, for daytime works, works of godliness and love, not for works of sin and darkness. Put them all away. Let that be how it is always in the church. At a time when everyone expects works of darkness. This world is asleep in the darkness, thinking that it is never going to change. The light is never going to dawn. When the world is slumbering in darkness, let the church be a place where the light shines clearly. Let us always live as in the daytime and never as though we are in the nighttime. Let us always live as though those works of darkness, those sins, have been cast off once and for all, never to return again. Let us always be rejoicing. Let us always be rejoicing. Is that really sustainable? What do you think? Can you always be rejoicing? Well, St. Paul seems to think so. He says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And just to make sure you heard it, again, I will say, rejoice. Always. In every moment. In good times and in bad in worldly sorrows and in grief, as well as worldly successes, in every time. Here's how Job puts it. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Yes, there are hills and there are valleys. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Is it sustainable always to stay awake? Well, Jesus saw what happened to his disciples when he took them with him a few days after Palm Sunday to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he went by himself to pray, and he said to Peter, James, and John, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And they tried to pray. They tried to stay awake. They tried to rejoice, and the slumber overtook them. Their eyes grew heavy, and they fell asleep. And Jesus came back to them, and he says, couldn't you stay awake and watch for just a little while? Now is the time not for sleep. And they looked around, I'm sure, and said, Lord, it's nighttime. (laughs) It's time to go to sleep. Is it any wonder that we are tired when you're driving home at 11 o'clock? Is it any wonder that your eyes begin to fall asleep? Is it any wonder when you wake up too early and go to class that you can't stay awake in class? Is it any wonder it's time to be sleeping? I should be in bed right now. They say to themselves, why are you asking us to stay awake? How can we stay awake? Jesus says to them, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you have to know this about yourselves. That it is a time for rejoicing, but your flesh does not want to rejoice. It is a time for putting off the works of darkness, but your flesh would much rather lurk in the shadows and do the things that belong to this fading and decaying and dying world. Your flesh would much rather sleep and lie down in the grave than live with Jesus. And so you must put to death your flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, side with the spirit. (coughs) Strengthen your spirit. Lift up your heads and rejoice. Listen to Jesus' words, his promises. Receive from him the strength to stay awake, the strength to rejoice always and in every circumstances. That is the strength that he intends to give you. It's what he gives you with his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not just a nice thing that we do together here in church, but it is the life and energy that you need in order To live as in the daytime, to walk properly. Not in all of those sins of the darkness, not in quarreling and jealousy and grumbling and complaint, but instead with light and merry hearts, with rejoicing in all things. Is it sustainable? I think it is. I think it is, although the world would tell you that it's a little bit fanatical. Don't you think? (laughs) It's a little bit extreme. To rejoice in the Lord always? Don't you ever just want to take a break from being a Christian? Don't you ever just want to take a break from trusting in Jesus? Take your lesson from David, who is at the end of his his conquest, at the end of his trials under Saul, he's bringing back to Jerusalem the Ark of the Covenant, which has been missing for so long. He's bringing it back to Jerusalem And there's a procession, a parade, and he's at the head of the parade, and he's dancing, and he's singing for joy, and there's music everywhere, and David is making an utter fool of himself, and his wife, Michal, is standing in the window, and she looks out, and she sees David rejoicing in the Lord always, and rejoicing to such extremes, and she is contemptuous of him. She disdains him. She thinks, what a fool he's making of himself That's not becoming of a king. No husband of mine is going to act that way. And she despises him for it. David looks at her and he says, I'm going to do this more and more. I'm going to make myself even more embarrassing to you. I'm going to rejoice even more fervently, more earnestly, more sincerely, because the Lord is here. This is the thing that we have been waiting for. This is the thing that God has always promised. And now it has arrived and there is no cause for anything less than continual rejoicing. Let us be like David. 
When your flesh says, just cool it a little bit. When the world says, don't be such a crazy Christian. When your family and friends try to temper your enthusiasm for the gospel, say like David, I'm going to become even more embarrassing to all of you. My Savior is here. My Savior from sin and death and condemnation is here. Look at what a crazy thing those people do as they welcome Jesus. I never really noticed it until this week as I was studying this text. They take off their cloaks and they lay them on the road in front of Jesus. What would possess a person to take off his cloak and let it get trampled by a donkey? Would you do it if I asked you to take off your nice Carhartt jacket and lay it in front of my car so I could drive over it? Would you do it? Why would you do that? What would possess you to do that? Except that maybe you don't need it anymore. Maybe you're done with it. Maybe the one who is trampling on it is greater and better, who's coming to cover you with something better than a cloak over your skin. Maybe it's because now is the time to put off things once and for all. Maybe it is now the time to put on righteousness once and for all. Maybe it is because this message proclaimed by Jesus, which they all recognized, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe it is because they recognized that this changes everything. Let that be our attitudes. Let that be the mood of this church, this place, throughout this season and for every time. Rejoice. Your king is here and he has come to save you. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.